Ag State of Mind, episode 83. Welcome to Ag State of Mind, a podcast that examines the stresses affecting producers of agriculture and how to alleviate these stresses and improve farmers' lives. In this podcast, we discuss openly the mental health crisis that is occurring in the agricultural community and what we can do to help turn it around. Now here's your host, Jason Meadows. This episode of the Ag State of Mind podcast, a proud member of the Global Ag Network. I am your host, Jason Meadows. Veterinarians are have a special place in the hearts of lots of ag producers, and mine in particular, for a lot of reasons. Now, for me, what some may know is I had planned for a lot of years to become a veterinarian after I graduated high school. Uh, some things changed, but my that special place in my heart for vets did not go away. Um, but probably more so is the fact that I have relied for many years on the expertise of veterinarians to aid me in my cattle operation. My guest today is one of the best spokespersons for vets everywhere. Marissa Hake, also known as Calf Vet Online, is a great advocate for both the agriculture industry and for veterinary medicine. Uh, we chat today about her journey as a vet, and then we spend a good deal of time talking about the mental health of our veterinarians and how it's affecting the profession profession. As livestock producers, I feel like we need to pay special attention to the mental health of our vet doctors. They are such integral parts of our operations. Uh, I really had a great time talking with Marissa, and I'm very excited for you guys to hear this today. Um, before we get started, I'd like for each of you to go to our Facebook special group, our private Facebook page for Ag State of Mind. Um, if you want to support this and to stay more up to date, uh, the Facebook logarithm with the Facebook page is really, really fickle. And what I've found is I get more interaction, more time to actually get to know you as uh, listeners of this podcast if we post in that Ag State of Mind private group. So just search that out. Um, if you'd like for an invite, please send me a DM on Facebook and we will get that in the works. So, all right, here is my episode with Marissa Haight. All right, Marissa Hake, welcome to the Ag State of Mind podcast. How are you this evening? I am doing great. Thank you so much for having me on. You are always one of my, and have been for a while, one of my favorite accounts on social media to follow. And I get so much value out of the things that you say that you bring to attention. And I felt like it it's kind of been a long time coming before us to have this conversation. So I'm super excited to have you on tonight. Thank you. That is like the night, the nicest compliment anyone can ever say. I feel like it's like, Hey, I like your content. Cause usually half the time you're like, I don't know if anybody actually cares that I'm putting any of this out there. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, I, I remember when I first started doing that first putting anything out there on the internet other than, you know, pictures of my kids or whatever. I was like, man, does anybody really care? But yeah, when somebody can tell you that they, that they care, it like is fuel for the fire. So. Yeah. I, I think people miss that a lot because social media is super vulnerable. You know, when you mm-hmm. put out your feelings, especially, when you know, you talk about mental health like that, that's a hard topic. And you kind of feel like you're just putting it all out there for everyone else to judge some days. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. So tell everybody about who you are. I mean, I'd say most of the people know who you are, but kind of break it down for everybody and then we'll dive into the things that we want to talk about after that. Yeah, I always have a hard time with this question because I never know where to start. You right. know, it's like, uh, do I do a full background, my resume? Like, where do I go with it? I read Brene, so, I read Brene Brown's book. What was the, I can't remember which book it was, but I just got done with it a couple of weeks ago. And somebody, when somebody asks her, what does she do? She says, well, how much time do you have? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I love her and her podcast was so great, but I'll start with, um, I guess my most identifying feature is that I'm a veterinarian. Um, and so I, like we were talking about earlier, I grew up in Michigan. Um, I went to school at Michigan state graduated. Um, and then I spent the last five years working in calf health. So specifically on kind of the veal side of the business. And that's really where I got started on social media is, is talking about calf health and, and where, what happens with our calves from the dairy and things like that. And so sharing about that. And then in January of 2020, I took the role as director of animal welfare for Fairlife, which is a milk company. And then on the personal side, I live in Northwest Ohio with my husband. He is an eighth generation farmer, uh, sorry, seventh generation farmer. And so we have a cash crop farm. We have wean to finish hogs. We have some beef cattle. We have a bunch of finisher and backgrounder soccer cattle. And I'm sure there's some other things I'm missing. Um, oh, I have one child, <laughs> McCoy. He will be three in June, and I'm due with my second child in June as well. Their due dates are two days apart. Oh, wow. um, so we've figured out, I think there's like a break in September during chopping. That must be kind of our time because <laughs> uh, we're going to have two right on top of each other. Oh, gosh. So. Yeah, man. You know, going from, you know, so I don't know what it's like to go from one kid to one kid to two. I went from one kid to three because of, we had twins and oh my gosh. Um, I don't know what that's like. I'd say it's, I'd say obviously it's going to be significantly harder, but uh, you know, he's a little bit older. He's not, he's not, it's not, it's not awful. You yeah. Know? I know somebody who had kids had one, I think they were like one one year and then they had twins like after that so like three kids all like under two like i just i you know couldn't imagine but yeah there's there's a special place in heaven for those people and and you and your wife with twins because when i went first doctor's appointment i was like please god just not to like please god not twins like i just can't do twins i don't think i can do it yeah it's, it's something else so so talk to me about about vet health about just yeah. your role as a veterinarian, you know, what, what that means to you, why you did it, because that was, that was what I was going to do. I was going to be a vet for my, all of the time growing up. I mean, that's what I was going to do. And I changed when I was this, I think a junior in high school, I decided to go and be a pharmacist. So tell me like, what's the passion behind that? And what do you get from it? You know, I was probably like you, where I was just like, I grew up with animals. I grew up with horses and, you know, I really loved science. And so I kind of had a passion for, for both sides of, you know, of veterinary medicine kind of at the base. It's, it's, it's obviously animal health, but you know, you've got to have the, the science and kind of nerdy background as well. And so I was kind of did both. I kind of, if you know me in high school, I was a cheerleader, but I was also the only cheerleader that was ever on the science Olympiad team. So, uh, if that kind of like makes my personality, like pretty evident, that's exactly who I am as a person. 
And so, you know, that background really is what spurred me. But if I look back on it now, um, what I thought veterinary medicine was versus what I know veterinary medicine is now being in, in the, in, you know, in the industry, those are two very, very different things. And so I was probably under the delusion of, I'm going to get to work with animals and I'm going to be so smart and, you know, uh, you know, well, I'll never have a bad day, <laughs> you know, it's just because looking at veterinary medicine from the outside, um, it's very romanticized in my opinion, you know, where they just, everyone thinks it's like this great job and you get to work with animals. It's so great. I love animals. Everyone loves animals, right? If you don't love animals, you're probably a psychopath in my, in my opinion. So, you know, don't kick me off your podcast, but yeah, but once, once you're in, in the industry and you realize there's so much more to it and there's so much more responsibility and hardships, the right word, um, maybe some hardships with it, you know, people don't, don't talk about or don't recognize outside the industry. And it's unique in that we are kind of the only medical profession, right. That has to deal with some different things like euthanasia and stuff like that. And so, Mm. um, so yeah, so I guess my perception has changed over time, but that's originally why I got started is kind of probably why you wanted to go into veterinary medicine, which was you liked animals, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, we, my dad had a big cat-calf operation growing up. My dad owned a sale barn in town. I mean, I think I wanted to because he's like, oh, yeah, I want you to be a vet because so you could be like, <laughs> I, I mean, I know he wasn't serious, but maybe he was kind of that I, he wanted me to be his personal vet, you know. Yeah, he's like, you have some free right? <laughs> but, and I'll tell you what changed me, and I tell this story a lot, and I tell this story to my vet here at home still my vet because he was that vet that day that was gosh you know over 20 years ago and it was a snowy day in february uh, we i just can't remember the whole situation but we had a cow that was i don't know why i guess she was i guess we you know we we saw that she was having a calf i guess it was just feed out and we could tell she wasn't going to be able to have it on her own and we had to do uh, we had to do a cesarean, or uh, we didn't. The the vet came out, they roped her, you know, stretched her, and did the did the cesarean right there in the middle of the field. It was actually a really cool experience to watch, um, and I wish mm -hmm. everybody could be there to watch that or witness something like that because it was so cool. But Casey, our vet, he says to me, like, while we're doing it, you know, they cut the cow open, pull the calf out, all the steam just rises up, you know, it's freezing cold, it's eight inches of snow on the ground, you know, it's probably 20 degrees outside, just a windy, blustery, cold, nasty Missouri day. And he told me, he said, you know what I wouldn't give to be in a nice warm pharmacy today? I was like, oh, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Like, I'm not going to do this for, for, for a living, you know? So, I mean, and no, obviously no offense. And I, I applaud anyone who can do that and can do that for a living and, uh, you know, support their family, support themselves doing that. But I realized that day that it was not for me and there was no turning back after that. And like, I totally had to change what I was going to do from that point forward. So, I mean, you're right. It's, it is a romanticized profession. Um, you know, we talk, we think of what's the, what's the movie, Dr. Doolittle, you know, where he, the vet yeah. talks to the, to the animals and whatever. And I think that's a, what a lot of people, especially people who are not from a agriculture background 
think of, you know? So, I mean, that's, that's a really interesting way to, to put it, that it's so romanticized. Yeah. And I think with a lot of people, James Harriet as well, the book series and the shows and stuff, same thing, you know, this kind of country vet that comes out and saves the day and, you know, no one's online bashing the him or, you know, like no one's questioning his, his doctorate by Googling things, you know? So uh, it's just, it's, it's so far removed from what most people think. Yeah, absolutely. It is. So, I mean, this is something that I think we kind of, I didn't realize was an issue because I'm not involved in the, in the vet industry. But I talked early on, I talked to Cody Curlman on this podcast and he brought it up. I didn't, wasn't even going to bring it up. And he brought it up in the middle of the podcast. Like, you know, let's talk about vet mental health because it's something that is a serious, serious issue. And I, I mean, not, you know, I'm not obviously as familiar with vet medicine as you are, but I, I mean, I'm very aware of it because I spend so much time with the vet or have spent so much time and it was something I was really passionate for about. And I had no idea that it was such an issue. So talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah. You know, according to the AVMA, one in six veterinarians have considered suicide since they graduated vet school, which I think is a pretty scary statistic that again, I, surprises most people. Right. Right. And it's, it's growing. It's, it's a big issue. It's definitely a bigger issue with the younger generation of veterinarians. I think there's a stat too, that me as a younger female veterinarian, I'm three and a half times more likely to take my life than the general population. And so are my colleagues. And so it's something that before vet school, I really had never heard about, to be honest. And I think it was starting to gain a little bit of momentum when I was in vet school. But then after graduation, it really started to amplify. And, and, you know, the message was getting out like, hey, our our colleagues are in crisis. Our, you know, our industry needs to address this issue. Um, And so we're, we're definitely getting more resources. We're definitely getting, we're talking about it a lot more. I don't know if you saw recently on Facebook, there was a, not one more vet is an organization that is, yeah. is working towards veterinary mental health. Um, I think we lost three of our colleagues last week. And so a lot of us changed kind of our, our profile picture to include that as kind of, you know, trying to bring awareness to this, this really big issue. Yeah. And I mean, if you, on the surface, you wouldn't think, think about it, but if you just dig just a little deeper, um, it goes back to veterinary medicine being so romanticized and people having such a different view of what it, of what, it, what they think it is versus what it really is. And, you know, I have to say that that, that has to, I mean, it has to be one of the major contributing factors to that. Yes. And, you know, it's, it's a lot of things. So it's definitely, you know, being perceived as this, you know, what we thought it was going to be is different than what it is. Um, the other thing is that, you know, we have incredible student loan debt. And, uh-huh. and so the financial aspect of veterinary medicine is, is very, very hard for, for young veterinarians getting out. You know, and another thing that's, it's a big one, like I kind of touched on earlier is some of the mental health issues and, and stress and burnout with having to deal with euthanasias and things like that. And so, you know, we're the one unique group that has to actually make end of life decisions, Right. Um, on a daily basis. <laughs> and right. so that really, really, really can weigh on veterinarians. 
especially younger veterinarians who are, who are, you know, have all these other issues with debt with, you know, and I think about this in some of our rural practices, just like when we're talking about mental health and farming, you know, these younger veterinarians who are going out into rural practices, especially, you know, in large animal and small animal, you know, these are, we have rural isolation, you know, we have lack of access and there's a stigma behind it and things like that. So the same things that our farmers are facing, our veterinarians are facing as well. Yeah, because I mean, they obviously are, if to, to make the living that they do, they have to live in the places like that, right? It's, I mean, the country vets and things. And I've never really thought of the euthanasia side of it. Do you think being from an ag background helps or hinders that, that like that, that the issues with that? Ooh. Uh, I don't know, <laughs> uh, based on, you know, actually scientific. Right, right. You know, no, I, and I understand. Yeah. I'm just, um, just, just your opinion. Would, you know, I, you know, I do, I do think farmers and, and being in rural America and growing on farms, you just have a closer relationship with, with that, right. Mm-hmm. You understand kind of the life cycle and that things happen and you've seen death, unfortunately. Right. And, and you've had to deal with it. And so, um, yes, I do think that I, I'm not callous to it, but I have maybe some coping, sure. coping mechanisms sure. to deal with it. Sure. Um, so yeah, I would say, yeah. 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 And I think that's true. And I am, I'm always, and I don't know why. I mean, it's just like anything else. It's a career just like anything else. I am always shocked at people who didn't grow up in agriculture who do decide to become vets. I remember being over at, at, at my vet, we were castrating some bigger bull calves and this girl was a first year vet student. She might've been pre-vet. I don't remember. And just, uh, just got accepted to the pro. I don't remember where she was. She was very early in the program, but she was from St. Louis. We're about, uh, we're about an hour and 15 hour and 20 minutes West of St. Louis. And she was there and she did not grow up on a farm. She did not have any idea of agriculture. She was she, first time she'd really even been around cattle that day. And I was just, I was really, I don't want to say shocked, but just very, it was very intriguing and interesting to me, people that do that. Um, I would say she is the majority of people. Going really? School. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And even your large animal veterinarians, there's, there's, kids that got, you know, exposed to it, say an undergrad, like an animal science program or something like that. And they're, they're intrigued by food animal medicine, you know, and they want to get into it. They want to get experience, but they have no background in it. There's really a small amount of kids who grew up in agriculture that are actually going into food animal medicine. Interesting. I, now I did not know that. That surprises me. That really surprises me. Yeah. I, and, and it's not those, those, I didn't have a ton of ag background going into that school either. You know, that's where I wanted, wanted to be in most of my experience in undergrad and things like that. But there's some fantastic veterinarians out there that didn't grow up on a farm at all. And I think they kind of bring a, a different lens to it all, to be honest. They kind they not question things, but it's like, why, why are we doing it that way? And it's, us of us are like, I don't know, that's why we've done it, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, so, yeah. No, that's interesting. That's an interesting way to put it because, that's that's I'd say that's probably valuable because you know what's the one way to to I always an an ongoing I don't know who the quote is who said it but I mean it's a pretty you know pretty often repeated quote but what's the fastest way to go broken farming or go broken ranching is to keep saying this is the way we've always done it and 
it, it, it can't be any different in veterinary medicine because it is an evolving profession just like anything else. So it, it probably does take some outside perspective to, to innovate and to move the, move the profession forward. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's, there's room for all of them. Right. So, you know, I think that goes, it just goes right back to our topic of there's a lot of people that are, you know, passionate about going into this. And then they, like I said, they get out to a rural practice, they're isolated. They get into this kind of cowboy mentality, like tough, you know, we're tough here. We don't talk about emotions. We don't, you know, we're not going to do that here. And so going into those type of situations are, is for sure hard for our young veterinarians. And, you know, we know that for our generation where, you know, if I look back at an older generation of veterinarians, you know, they went back to their hometowns and they, you know, they married, you know, a, a lady from town and, and, and they had that support system and where our generation, you know, we move everywhere, you know, we don't marry till we're in our late twenties and early thirties and not all of us, but you know, so, so you have a lot of single people moving to rural isolation. They don't have support systems. They don't have family there. And it's just, it's such a different dynamic between generations. And I think that's where a lot of it comes from is, is we don't have the support systems like the older generation had. And so when they give us that cowboy up mentality, you know, it's hard. It's really hard for some it's, of our colleagues. Yeah. It's new. Yeah, I'd say that's probably a new thing. Uh, in And take it another step further, adjusting to rural life instead of being someone who's in an urban area. I mean, gosh, that's got to be, that's got to be incredibly difficult and, you know, be away from family and friends. And, you know, I, I mean, I love rural America. I've been a a resident of rural America all my life, except for the six years I went to school. But some places can't be the, aren't always the most inviting of outside (laughs) people. I mean, you know, I'm trying to put this as delicately and nicely as possible, but I mean, that's just the truth. That's just the way it is. And um, so, yeah, there's that part to deal with it too. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot, a lot of layers to this that I've never considered before. Yeah. Yeah. It, I, don't consider myself an expert on mental health. Sure. I'm lucky enough. Neither do I. To say, <laughs> to say that you know, I, I, I have pretty good mental health. I think, which is which is a blessing. But you know, one time I joked. I think I was with a, a bunch of other colleagues at a meeting or something, and kind of said, you know, if you didn't have some bout of mental health issue through vet school, and maybe you can say the same for pharmacy. You know, we're in these big rig- rigorous course loads and things like that. I, I kind of said, well, if you, you know, if you didn't have dep- uh, about a depression during vet school, you probably weren't doing it right. And when I look back at that comment, I'm like, I should have never said that. Like I'm an idiot, but that's how kind of perverse mental health issues are within the profession that we're all like, yeah, we had, you know, there was that, that six months there. I don't know how I made it through kind of thing, you know? And so it's like almost joking, which is, is so wrong, right. You know, especially for my other colleagues who are struggling, but I think I kind of learned from that is like, Hey, I, I have a platform through my, you know, social media handles. And if I can bring any light to this for people who are struggling, you know, that's definitely what I want to do because it is, I feel like everyone in the profession has, you know, dealt with it at least a little. So Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to back up. You said something there and you said, I think I have pretty good mental health. Why do you think that? What do you do or what are, what are some of the things that you do or you do for yourself that helps you, helps you with that? 
That is, I have a, I have a good support system, right? So that helps me a lot. I have a husband who's currently watching my, my almost three-year-old kid, kid. So like, you know, I have that, a spouse that helps me out. I, you know, I've worked for companies that have tried to support me and, you know, whether it was through maternity leave or things like that, you know, it, it's just, I've had the, I've had the support and um, I take the, do take the time. I try to, it's not, I like balance everything. I was like, balance. I don't, no one's, no one's balancing it. Right. Like <laughs> I don't believe in balance. It's always something else mm-hmm. is dropping. Something else is up here. But I, I know when I'm getting to a point where I'm getting run down, I can kind of self-regulate like, okay, I have to start working out this week again. And I have to, you know, watch what I'm eating. Cause I'm probably just like eating a bunch of sugar. And then I'm like, I don't know why I feel like crap. <laughs> you know? So if I start really checking in with myself and keeping those things where I'm, I'm feeling better and getting some sleep, then I can usually kind of self-regulate. So. Yeah. So you, uh, you're very self-aware I, I, I'd say. And I think that's, I think that's a, I think it's a common trait of people with really good mental health is they understand, you know, they understand their limitations, but they also understand what around them makes them whole. Yeah. And I would say the one other thing that I have learned is especially through social media is I think it's with a personality type too, is I tend to internalize things, you know, like one, one bad email and I'm like sitting there all night, like, you know, I'm one vegan attack on my Facebook page and I'm start spiraling. Right. And it's like, okay, how do I get out of these thought spirals to Brene Brown right? <laughs> and, and get myself to a better place? What can I control in this situation? And what can I, and kind of leave what I can't and, Again, that is a that is a lifelong skill that I'm trying to develop. It doesn't always work, but that is what I try to do when those things happen. Yeah, no, I mean, understanding what you do have control of and taking care of that and then the things you don't have control of, letting them be. And I mean, I know that's easier said than done. I mean, I, I, I'm as guilty of that as the next person, but it, I know when I'm at my best, that's the frame of mind that I am in. Um, and you know, that's, that's really well said. And it's, that's, that's incredible advice. So I want to move on to something here and it's, it's on a lighter note because I want to talk about, I want to talk about your cows. I love your cows. (laughs) And I'll, and I'll tell, and I've told you this before through, through messenger or wherever we've spoken before. My dad bought a set of he called them he called them white parks and i know they're not white parks now like but i thought they were white parks forever i called them white parks forever um but they're they're british whites which is what you have and well okay, let me stop you there okay so there's two associations this oh, don't get me started so i own some british white parks and i also own british whites so you're telling me my so hold up your dad was probably right. Oh, <laughs> dang it. I would, I would like it when he's wrong. Come on. I know. I own both. I, own, I have cows from both breed associations. They're the same breed. It's super annoying. Okay. So I'm okay. Maybe I was wrong. Then. Okay. All right. Well, anyway, talk to me about them because I love them. They're so great. Right. So I'll tell you the background. It must have been four or five years ago. Um, and we, so we got calves and I work for a calf company. I'd probably get in a thousand calves a week, right? Majority Holstein, maybe a Jersey, maybe a brown Swiss. I call those my, my onion rings. Cause you know, like sometimes when you get a whole thing of French fries, they'll be like the one onion ring. Those would be my, like my, my brown Swiss cows. 
Anyway, one day I got a British white cross in and I mean, it was the most perfect calf you've ever seen. Like black ears, black nose, perfect black spots. I'm like, what is, what is this? Like I had, that was it. I was like, I have to have those. So I researched the breed, uh, fell in love with them. And when we were deciding to finally get cattle, actually like mama cows, you know, that's, that's what we went with. I was like, that's what I love. I love that they're docile good mamas you know they should be easy keepers and so that's kind of why we went with the breed yeah they're they're incredible and you know for us further south they're extremely heat tolerant too which and i mean i'm sure you've got humidity in the summer there too in 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 ohio and you know and that's another part they're they're very efficient cattle and i i just I, they, the, the biggest thing I always say that's the problem with them is they do get docked at market, which is silly just because yeah. of how they look. And it just, yeah. last I checked, you don't, you don't eat the color on the outside, but whatever. No, uh, it's so silly. And if you ask me, my husband, like, you know, our whole thing cross calves go Angus. So I'm just like, there's tons of great Angus breeders out there. And I get that all the time. Like, why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you go with black hide? I'm like, ah, have you met me? Like I I'm going to go against the grain at any, like anytime <laughs> I can. <laughs> so, uh, luckily, you know, we market most of ours locally as yeah. for you to redirect a consumer. So we don't have that issue luckily, but yeah, I think that's a big disservice to a lot of these really great breeds. It is. I totally agree. And you know, the, and you know, I'm not going to get too personal here um, because you know, I don't, people get really personal about their cattle genetics. <laughs> That, uh, you know, the Angus breed did a really great job at marketing, you know, oh, 30 fantastic. years ago. Fantastic job. And it left everyone else with not black heighted kettle kind of in the dust a little bit. And um, it's it's a business. I understand that. But it is a disservice to a lot of incredible breeds. It, it, it always makes me laugh because we had a Simmental bull when I was a kid. And a Simmental are like a red, yellow, spotted, colored cat. I mean, traditionally, you would never mm-hmm. find any Simmental that isn't black now, which is incredible. It's, inc- it's incredible to me that the difference in what something used to be and what it is now. I mean, a full-blooded Simmental is black now. And it's just that doesn't, it still doesn't register with me very well. But anyway, we're kind of off on a tangent there, which no. is easy to do when you talk to people who enjoy yeah. cattle. You know what I mean? We get excited. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, no, yeah. Again, that's kind of the, it's, so I will back up and say that I didn't grow up uh, in cow-calf at all and and neither did my husband. And so we're most on the feeder side. I'm on the dairy side of the business, which you think cattle are cattle, but no. Mm -hmm. No, 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 no. (laughs) No. (laughs) Beef cattle and dairy cattle are totally different species in my book, but Um, so we're learning, you know, I kind of consider us like pretty new owners, not, not that I don't know the veterinary side of things and stuff like that, but just managing it and, and managing pasture-based animals and things like that. When we're just such barn people, you know, it's, it's funny. We're, we're learning a lot along the way. (laughs) That's really interesting because that is a, that's a really good point in, you know, people who are even, even stalker people, even who do put calves out on grass, you know, they're still younger cattle. I mean, raising a, I mean, obviously, you know, this as a vet, 
a lactating or, or breeder cow has much different nutritional requirements as than does a stalker or even a dairy cow or, or whatever else. I mean, so it's it, the, the industry of cattle is so complex that people just don't understand until they're involved in it. Yes, I agree. That's where if I talk to veterinarians that want to go into cattle, right? I'm like, go get experience everywhere. If you're in dairy country, go out West and go get beef cattle country. If you're in beef cattle country, go work in dairies because you can learn a a lot across the the two. Right. Great. Well, I want to be respectful of your time here tonight. I, I want you to, I want you to kind of close here tonight and speak to someone who is considering veterinary school. And I'm not sure if you can really do this in a short amount of time, but just (laughs) give them, you know, your elevator pitch of what it's like to be a veterinarian and what to expect and what encouragement you could give anyone trying to go into veterinary medicine. So I think the, the best thing that you can do for yourself, if you want to go into veterinary medicine is go in eyes wide open, right? So, um, my biggest recommendations is get experience working with a veterinarian in a veterinary clinic, understand the basis of the industry Two, get a financial advisor and know what you're getting into financially and how you're going to pay for your education. Don't go in blindly like me, who's like, I'll just figure it out. <laughs> it, it'll backfire on you. And three, you know, understand how to balance a, a stressful and rigorous coursework and then also a, a stressful and rigorous career because it really is and it can be. And um, I will close. There is a great YouTube video. It's about 20 minutes long. It's called What Being a Veterinarian Really Takes. It's by Dr. Melanie Brown. And she talks about mental health and her day as a small animal veterinarian and everything that kind of goes into it. And it really gives you a good idea of kind of the stressors and things that veterinarians face. And, you know, with all of that information, you can make the right decision to go into veterinary medicine and, and know, you know, what you need to combat to get through it. Very good. Very good stuff. Where can people find you online? I'm on Facebook as at CAFET and I'm on Instagram as at CAFET underscore. Perfect. Perfect. Um, we will, we'll make sure and link, uh, we'll obviously link all your stuff in, in the show notes and we'll also link that YouTube video. So it'll be easy for people to, oh, great. to find when they, after they listen to the podcast. Well, I really appreciate your time here tonight. Uh, again, appreciate what you do. You're an inspiration and, uh, I I'm, I'm proud to know you. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to Ag State of Mind. We hope this episode has encouraged you. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Ag State of Mind. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify so you never miss an episode. See you next week.